0: Susie' is going to read to you in just a second um, some opening verses from an earlier part of Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Uh, these verses are Paul's attempt to begin to engage with a culture, a city that was very spiritual everybody was aware of their spirituality and everybody was celebrating spirituality that the city itself had numerous gods and goddesses and opportunities for people to explore the the spirit within so paul began to try to engage with that culture to bring his message of faith as he understood what the spiritual life was about.
1: When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might rest not on human human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the the mature we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human, except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's, except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Word of God for the people of
0: I would invite you to join with me now in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, I ask you to bless us with time to reflect on this word that we might share and hear what you need us to know, what you need us to become. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and mind to be put properly before you and then by your grace perfected and sent back into our souls and hearts that they might become food for faithful living. Bless this worship, and we even dare to ask that you would bless us, that we in turn might be your blessings to the world by your grace. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So who are you talking to when you're talking to yourself? There is always an ongoing internal dialogue within all of us. Now, my experience is, I think this is true, that some of us are more chatty to ourselves than others. But all of us have some level of conversation going on inside us, reflections, thoughts, declarations. And sometimes that internal dialogue slips out and becomes, without you trying to make it, an audible statement or conversation. How many of you have been in a room where someone from another room hollered out, who are you talking to? (laughs) And the answer you give, of course, is, well, no one. Which in my house then leads into deeper conversations as to what's wrong with me. But the fact is, we aren't talking to no one, we're talking And we're talking to ourselves, which when you think about it's a very strange concept. Why am I needing to talk to myself if I'm the self originating the conversation? I sit here and look at the fact, oh, the bells are playing today, as if somehow myself can't see that the bells are playing today. Why do I need to tell myself the bells are playing today? I see it. We have this ongoing internal conversation, and the truth is, while sometimes our audible slips out, have you ever been embarrassed when you realized that what you were thinking you were saying without realizing it? Amen? The unfiltered thought terrifies us. And alongside that internal dialogue is an eternal range of emotions some of which are pretty evident to people. They know that you're feeling a particular emotion by your actions, your looks, whatever, your speech. The truth is, a lot of times, we're hiding our internal emotions. In fact, I'll be honest to say, there are even times I've begun to realize that I'm hiding from myself what I'm really feeling. And so we have within us and I think within all of us, I don't think I'm the only really bizarre person in the room. We have this internal dialogue and set of emotions. I've often wondered what it would be like if when God had made us, God had chosen to put a speaker tied to us and a light, and then the speaker would broadcast all of our unspoken thoughts. <laughs> Scares the heck out of you, doesn't it? And if the light that we had attached to us went through a whole range of colors, you know, like, the, like a divine mood ring, revealing the truth about what we feel, so that in every place, in every moment, including right now, people would know what you were thinking and what you were feeling. You could not filter it. Would it change your world? <laughs> well, for some of you, probably not. <laughs> And I think it's a world that would terrify us because we hide those feelings so often. And yet I then think if we really were wired that way and we lived that way on a regular basis, imagine that we would adapt, we would figure that out, we would soon learn how to filter out what we didn't want to listen to anyway, or our entire culture would change and we would no longer need psychiatrists because we would all know how crazy we all are. The knowledge that within us there is something stirring. Within us there is something with which we want and need to engage, to have dialogue with. Emotions that we are not in control over but yet reside within us often are the drivers for us to seek and find those things that can meet those inner needs. And we all have that not just religious, not just educated or uneducated, not just men, not just women, not just older, not just younger, but we all have them. And as we have them, I believe that's part of what drives us all to seek out something that will meet the needs of that internal dialogue and those emotions. It is what drives us to find whatever it is that we call God. It is at least in some part our definition of our spirituality, a seeking to find that thing which meets the needs of our internal self. Maybe we're looking to find a place, a thing, a a, a God, that would give us peace, contentment, or a sense of purpose within our life. Maybe the God we're looking for is a God that will give us pleasure or power. Maybe it is a God who would quiet the voices and emotions within us. That is our, at least one way of thinking of our spirituality. And everyone is a spiritual being. That is something that I know not all people agree with, but it is my acknowledgement that I do believe that we are all spiritual beings, not just flesh, not just biological Most of us are here today, I would suggest, because there is within us a spiritual hunger that has led us to seek out answers and relationships and values and even perhaps an other higher power that can meet our needs. If not answer our questions, just be a willing co-participant in listening to our inner dialogue, who can speak to the needs within us and help us make sense of our emotions and our purpose and our life. And most of us are here today, I would suggest to you, because we have figured out somehow that we want to be part of a spiritual quest that focuses itself around Jesus Christ and the kind of community that Jesus Christ named. We call it the church. For most of us here, I think it's true and I hope it's true. Jesus Christ is a real part of our life and true because our experiences have told us that Jesus is true. Our experience of being in a community of faith has confirmed to us that there are experiences and opportunities that we have to speak to our inner self that we don't find in any other community. Our spirituality has led us to proclaim a faith in Jesus Christ. And our faith in Jesus caused us to accept the identity of being Christian. You take the risk of walking out of here today and having someone drive by and see you and put on you. Well, they must be a Christian. They must be a United Methodist. They might even say of you that person is spiritual and religious. Today, in our shifting landscape of a culture, There's more and more of a desire for us to separate out the understanding of spiritual and religious. There's a whole category of people today in the world, SBNRs, spiritual but not religious. You've heard the term, right? I'm spiritual but I'm not religious. These studies tell me that 20% of the Americans when asked what is your religious preference or leanings identify themselves as spiritual but not religious. Religious. What does it mean to be spiritual but not religious? In the conversations that I've had and some of the readings that I've done, here's some observations that I would want to share with you. It seems to me that a predominant characteristic of an SBNR person is that they are seeking to find their deepest longings on an individual path. That is to say... While they're glad to have a few people go along with them, they are not looking to be part of a larger body. This is about a personal identification. They want to seek it out themselves. They want to taste the banquet of possibilities, selecting from this dish and this dish and this dish, and putting together a whole variety of beliefs and spiritual practices or attitudes or rituals that somehow make them feel better or stronger or more in connection with themselves and the world. However, they might talk about that. But Predominantly, they want to be the authority over their own spirituality. And as a result, they are rejecting the authority of others. They don't like the authority. Sometimes because the authority of others and institutions have oftentimes not been healthy. And so because they see places, accurately so, where others who have had authority have abused the authority, they reject all authority and want simply to make sure they're in charge of their own spiritual journey. Most, I think, spiritual but not religious people place an emphasis on internal spirituality rather than external practices. That is to say that they're focused on the self They're not necessarily interested about sharing their spirituality with others. I think a lot of SBNRs talk about the fact that my spirituality is my business. It's my personal stuff. I don't need to share it with you. I don't even really want to share it with you. I have no sense of being compelled to share it with you. SBNRs, spiritual but not religious, oftentimes I believe reject any sense of being part of a larger group or body because they want to keep their options open. They want to be able to shift as they feel necessary to adapt other practices or to go in other directions. They don't want to be tied down, if it were, as it were. I have found spiritual but not religious people across all demographics. They are not necessarily younger, they are not necessarily older, they are both. I can't find any common denominator that makes them that way, even whether or not they sit in the church pews or not, because here's what I'm going to tell you, and I don't hope this doesn't shock you. I find that there are a good number of spiritually but not religious people sitting in the pews of the church on any given Sunday and might even be comfortable describing themselves in that manner for all the reasons I've already stated and perhaps more. Maybe it's all John Lennon who kicked it off. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. You can even sing it along with me, most of you. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will all be one. Something about that which is compelling, isn't it? Makes us want to have that kind of a peaceful coexistence in the world and lay down the boundaries and the enemies and the destruction we often put upon each other, and which oftentimes, quite frankly, is done in the name of religion. We're in our season called Lent, at least that's what we normally call this time of the year. It is supposed to be our most spiritual time of the year. It's the time when Christians really get serious about being Christians. Don't eat meat, for example. Or in the Methodist version, refrain from chocolate. (laughs) Dare to open yourself up to go to a Bible class. Or, Or maybe go to an extra worship service or two. Or maybe take on something. Uh, go uh, do something of the justice ministry, sort of like a spiritual community service hours project. What I've come to discover is, while those things all have their own inherent value to a certain extent, they may in fact not be enough to move us to go into a place of depth in our faith walk or be a compelling invitation for others around us and maybe even give more ammunition as to why not be spiritual, but not religious. Apostle Paul was trying to figure out how to give his message into a culture that was highly spiritual. There was a real passion to make sure you all did your own thing, and we all celebrate whatever it was that you did. Whichever god or goddesses you worshipped, that's cool with us. We're great. It's good. In fact, we sort of revel in the fact we're also spiritual. And he comes into this culture wanting to proclaim a message about Jesus Christ. And he starts writing the book of Corinthians the way in which Susie just read, which most of you were rolling your eyes by the third verse anyway, because he seems to keep wrapping around talking about spirit and the spirit and spirituality. And at the end of it, you don't even know what he's talking about. Amen. And so we got through the end of it, and we all could recognize well, at least Paul's talking about spirituality. But he wasn't just talking about random spirituality. You continue to read Corinthians, you realize he's talking about living a life where our inner dialogue, our inner self, and our outward living all are set under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That was his message. But he's talking in a multi spiritual culture. So he begins where the people are. This is driven home even more. If you go read Acts 17, if you want to make a note in your bulletin, it won't hurt you this week if you read Acts 17. It probably won't hurt you. I don't think it'll hurt you. It'll be okay. But in Acts 17, he finds himself in Greece. And he goes to Athens. And he begins talking to the people in Athens. And he says this. Then and it starts, I'm reading beginning at verse, um, oh, I forget now, 22, I think. Um, then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and, and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar to the, with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he goes on to talk about that in a way which begins to identify the God who he knows through Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about this. Paul begins talking to Athenians and says, hey, I notice you got a lot of gods around here. And I notice this one god I want to talk to you about. Do you think that sounds like Paul to you? Crusty? Tough-minded? Lay you out in a minute, Paul? I'm shocked he didn't just say, y'all are a bunch of idiots with all these gods and goddesses. Let me just lay you down and tell you why you're wrong. But that's not what Paul does. Christians, could we ever just learn from this part of Paul? Maybe we need to quit knocking other people for where they are, but begin to engage them as they are where they are and share whatever it is we have in common. Paul says, hey, listen, I know you're really spiritual and I see that, but let me tell you about this one that I know. And I was really thinking about that a lot, and I came to the conclusion, you know why Paul did that? Paul was a spiritual being. Paul was a spiritual being who had set his entire faith around the spirituality that said he was going to protect the religion he was given, including killing Christians to do so, until he was overwhelmed by an experience of Jesus Christ. He was transformed. He was changed, literally, in a minute began to reorganize who he was, what he felt, and that internal dialogue all to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He knew what it was to start off spiritual here and end up here, so he wanted to engage people where they were, just as Jesus did. Man, the thing that makes me so shocked about the church today is how much we don't look like Jesus How much we allow the church voice, the Christian voice in the world today to sound like it has the authority to walk around telling everybody why they're wrong. The only people Jesus chewed out were the people who were so arrogant to think they could tell people that they were all wrong. Jesus welcomed all manner of people to him. He began at the very base level just to accept them as they were, just to love them as his friends, as his children, and allowed that love and that relationship to be contextual, to allow transformation and change to occur. You see, I really do believe the majority of folks who are spiritual but not religious are not, as many people think, folks who have been wounded by the church. And because they've been so hurt by the church, they've gone off on their own path. I really I think that's probably true for some, but I don't think it's the majority. Certainly there's enough opportunity for people who have been hurt by the church. Some of you have been hurt by the church, haven't you? Some of you are here today because you're giving the church a second or third chance. Maybe not this church, but you know, the church. But I think most people become spiritually but not religious, not because the church has hurt them, but because a church hasn't given them anything that really matters. I think the church of Jesus Christ all too often has perpetuated behavior that has no meaning for people who haven't been raised in that behavior. And I think people who are spiritually but not religious, aren't just rejecting the church because they don't want to come on Sunday morning because of all the painful things that happened here, but rather because they don't think that anything that's happening here matters. Because they haven't seen any other evidence or heard anybody give them compelling testimony. Because why we have this amazing, ongoing internal dialogue You and I as contemporary United Methodists have an amazing, compelling need to make sure we don't tell anybody that we are part of a spiritual practice which is changing our life, changing our families, and changing our world. We have not shared the example of the power that moves within us that we now recognize is beyond ourselves, but it's Christ. Last night we had a good friend of ours come in and do a program. Carter, as a pastor in Detroit, an African-American pastor, a friend of mine for a lot of years, a real good friend of Hal's, uh, came and talked about the uh, uh, Underground Railroad. And someone after his presentation asked, how did, how did, who sponsored the Underground Railroad? His answer, of course, was historically accurate. I the story and I know that. he said it was the church. It was church people. And I recognize you yeah, but the church also said slavery was OK in certain sections of the country. They did. God help us, We did. But it was a church that also provided safety for slaves to escape to freedom. It was the church in every time of change and transformation in the culture that we exist in. There's been a predominant force in making social justice happen in God's kingdom come on earth. Who else is doing that? We don't do it well. We don't do it perfectly. But by God, when we do it, it's an amazing thing to watch. The reason... The church gathers together is because when we are together, we are practicing the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus never said, go off on your own spiritual quest. He said, this is a faith about being together in a community. It's about being family with each other. It's about reaching out to those who don't have family. It's about reaching out to those who understand and can understand that when you are part of a community Things happen that won't happen on your own, no matter how spiritual you are. And so in a few weeks, another hundred or more, will go into Pontiac and work with Baldwin Center again to do ministries that none of us would be doing on our own. Right now, in the city of Flint, go up and listen to all the posturing and all the politicizing but go into the city and find out where the places are that people are going to get water. It's the churches, by and large. How many of you have delivered water in Flint in the last three weeks? Gone and done it personally? Raise your hand up high. I want folks to see. Only a couple here, but we've had 18, 20 people on any given week. We wouldn't have done that if we'd been on our own. The church makes that possible. We have scholarships, we send kids to college, we have youth groups up, up losing ball games. Discovering they're not alone when they lose at anything in life, or win at anything in life. We can debate about religion all day long, and quite frankly, quite frankly, probably I'll have to be honest to say at times I'm spiritual but not religious, because I hate false religion, including the one that I sometimes live. But I'm in love with the power of Christ when people are gathered together, growing in their personal faith, witnessing to the world, speaking justice, and changing what we could never change all on our own little paths. It's an amazing thing to watch. You're an amazing thing to watch. Do not let us be the reason folks don't have a compelling understanding of what Christ is doing within individual lives in a community. Don't be the people who judge and condemn others because of their spiritual practice, but rather be those who stand up and say with joy in our hearts, look what the Lord is doing in our midst, look what God is doing within me, and let's begin at those common connecting points. I told you earlier that It'd be an interesting world if we all had speakers coming out of our inner dialogue and a mood flashlight showing our emotions. And none of us want that. But you know what the world does need? The world needs Christians who have some form of a speaker in them that at least tell about the glory of Jesus, to talk about the difference he's making in our life and in our families. The talk about what's happening in the world, not all of the negative, but do you realize these are the transformational moments that Jesus Christ is making happen within the spirituality of a group of people come together as one in the name of Christ. And let them not mistake the moods that we have of joy and peace and hope and purpose that Christ alone gives. I don't want you to become religious. God, help me if I lead a church to do that. And I don't want you to just to be spiritual. But I pray that we will become spiritually faithful. How about that? I'm spiritual and at least trying to be faithful to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I welcome you to join with me. Thanks be to God.